Well, and so we begin the second week of our study of Hosea, and I wanted to start recapping a folktale because why not? Well, I was reading through the scriptures. This line came back to me multiple times, and I wanted to share it here because at the beginning, and I will hopefully remember to reconnect the story at the end. If the sermon was delivered in person, I would ask you to guess the folktale while giving out small clues to see if anyone could get it, but alas, we are still remote, so I don't get to play my silly reindeer games. The folktale is by Hans Christian Andersen and is about an emperor who likes to spend all the kingdom's wealth on clothes and eventually is tricked by two swindlers who convince him that they can weave magical clothes and that will appear these clothes will appear invisible to anyone who is stupid. But in reality, they don't make anything. The emperor looks in the mirror and sees himself naked, but not wanting to appear stupid, he pretends that he can see them, and well, then just goes on to this grand parade. His subjects, also not wanting to admit that they are stupid, go along and pretend that the emperor has clothes on and is not just simply walking around naked. That is, until a child blurts out that the emperor is indeed naked. Then the people kind of all realize that he's naked and they're not scared to admit it and the emperor continues back onto his ca uh, castle embarrassed but also confident and you might ask yourself okay what does this have to do with Hosea and I promise that hopefully I'll remember to include this later on in the sermon if once again if we are in person I'd actually just yell it ask you to yell at me in case I forget to make the connection Hosea 2 begins with a uh, conversation that Zezreel has to do with what some older siblings have to do is break bad news to the younger siblings. Jezreel has to tell no compassion and also not my people about their mother and well, what she's been up to. And let me tell you, it ain't looking good. As I talked about uh, in the sermon last week, this allegory can be between Gomer and Hosea, but it's also between God and Israel, God and the American church, or between God and humanity in general. And it starts once again, God claiming that the marriage pact has been broken. She is not my wife, and I am not her husband. This simple turn of phrase can be interpreted as stated, that there is this definite break, definitive break in the relationship. But once again, bringing in the good old Jerry interpretation, I see that it's similar to how God treats Loa me, or not my people. It is not that you're never going to be my people. Is that you're not acting like my people, so surely I'm not your God based off how you're acting. She is not my wife because she is not acting like I am her husband. And that hits a bit different, doesn't it? She is not my wife because she is not acting like I am her husband leaves the door open for redemption. As the Lord continues, he says to remove all the trappings of prostitution that would uh, that uh, it seems that uh, the prostitute is wearing. That includes this makeup and a sack of scents uh, or bag of aromas that Wimbledon would wear as a necklace uh, that would be a very low-hanging necklace as to attract gaze to a part of their body. Uh, and it would also be an alluring scent, because you got to remember, this is back in the day. People didn't shower as much, uh, kind of like now during the pandemic. And some people were kind of stinky, and so uh, these women, to be attractional, would have uh, nice smelling scents, good perfume, like curve. Uh, and, and I began to think uh, about ourselves and some of the criticism of the American church. Like There was this whole phase of the church, think early 90s to early 2000s, where we tried to be what we called, quote, seeker-friendly, unquote, churches. 
where churches were supposed to be alluring. The church went through its phase where we would remove all the things that, quote, might offend people, unquote, from our sanctuaries. We watered down some of the more offensive parts of our gospels. We sang different songs with louder guitars. We tried bright lights sitting on stools in Hawaiian shirts. And this is also like Israel. Israel at this time was trying to be alluring by inviting and worshiping other gods, sacrifices to Baal. Israel, as you could say, was kind of trying to court others. And the Lord reminds them that if you do not do these things, if you continue to do these things, the Lord will strip them bare and make them naked in the desert. The Lord is being clever here and using a double meaning. The obvious meaning is direct. To be naked as the day you were born and to be stranded in the desert would be very problematic. Nobody wants to be naked in the desert. It would be quite unpleasant. As our favorite Padawan says in Star Wars Episode 2, I just don't like sand. I had to get that one in. I'm sorry. Okay, and, and the other meaning uh, shows some depth of the Old Testament. The words and phrases the Lord chooses matters. And when the Lord says, naked as you were born and in the desert, it's actually called back to Exodus, where the Jewish people were birthed in the desert, where they fled from Egypt through the desert, the parted waters. It was this birth of their journey with the Lord. The Lord is calling back saying, hey, once again, remember how bad it was in Egypt. Remember how it was to be like slaves? Do you want to return to that? Return to that time in the desert? Return to these old masters and worship of their old gods? God reminds them that this life that they're leading will bring them to being thirsty. The old ways will not lead you to a water everlasting. And those words, they ring true, don't they? They remind us of another story. It's a Samaritan woman at a well where Jesus told her that the old ways, the way she was living, they will not leave you satisfied. She was never going to be satisfied. And Jesus says he could give her a living water, water that would satisfy her thirst. God speaks that same truth here. That the old gods would not leave you satisfied. And yet that does not seem to sway the prostitute. She's still, uh, going back into Hosea, she still seeks the comfort of those around her. There's this interesting progression here as well. The goods that she seeks move alongside uh, the Maslow's Pyramid of Needs. Maslow's Pyramid of Need. It goes from immediate needs of food and water to clothes and other protection to the finer things. And I think that progression is natural. It's, it's human, right? I mean, Maslow has this pyramid because... It's in the human psyche. It, it speaks to us, both as individuals as a community. When we are in need, what we seek first is to get things that sustain us. And once that is met, we seek to that next level of progression, which is usually protection. And then after that is satisfied, we might move on to our desire of finer things. And I see this as a church as well. When we start out, we, we try to survive. We seek the Lord to be our satisfaction. And then when we find our thirst and hunger satisfied, we may seek protection, finding comfort that we have buildings, a place to call the Lord. And then as we find comfort in those things, well, then we might strive for the more finer things. And yet the Lord says to the prostitute that these things, they, though desired, and they've been provided, they'll never leave you satisfied. 
as the as the poetic uh, musings of the Lord goes, she will go after them, but she won't catch them. She will seek them, and she won't find them. This is some like dashboard confessional level emo music, and I'm not gonna lie, it resonates with the emo kid inside of me. I think that we can all relate to this in some way. How heavy desire can feel when you're not feeling seen. How feeling seen can feel. And having that go away, it can be soul-crushing. And what is worse is the Lord says, well, because of this, I'm going to make it difficult for you to feel fulfilled. And this is a deep tension that we walk through as Christians, right? How do we deal with the things that we desire and yet not being satisfied? Why does it seem that we, our plans get foiled at times? Why does it seem like our desires are out of reach? Is this the Lord's doing? Does the Lord put thorns upon our path? Does he, dis- does he beset the wild animals upon us? See, once again, I-, I wish that we were in person because as a millennial, as millennial as it sounds, I have a really good meme that it, it really shows this point. In the first panel, one guy shows another guy something that he made and says, look what I have made. In the next panel, the second guy is walking around. Uh, uh, the second guy is holding it, and the first guy is walking away, and the guy whispers to himself, this is mine. Look what I have made. And we have our desires given to us by God. And sometimes we take those desires, and all of a sudden we say, well, now this is my desire. God speaks to this. In these chapters, he speaks to the prostitute, saying that he has given all of these things and the prostitute has taken them and claimed them as her. And then then she turns around and gives thanks to these other gods, these Baals, for giving her these things. So the Lord gives, she takes, then says, this is mine, and then turns around and gives them to another god. And I think we take the things of God and we turn them into ours. This happens to us all the time. I think this happens to me all the time. God then speaks that he will take these things from her to remind her that it is God who gives these things. We run into a theological issue once again. Is the Lord showing us once again that sometimes the Lord teaches us lessons by making things, well, difficult as a reminder that we're reliant wholly upon him? It makes me a bit uneasy which is actually the intent of the story. I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor if I shied away from these hard theological concepts. We need to be realistic about attention that the Lord is placing in front of us that it, constantly through these verses, attention between the Lord saying that he put desire, a desire for us in us. But when we take those desires and we use them for ourselves, that perhaps the Lord foils those plans to remind us that our desire should be directed towards him and ultimately towards redemption. All of this that we are going through reminds me of our Ecclesiastes studies last year. Last year, we, as a church, we went through Ecclesiastes or was it almost two years ago now, and we studied the wisdom of Quaheleth. And one of the points that our boy Q really hit on is that we should find satisfaction in what God has given us today instead of always looking for the better thing tomorrow. Find satisfaction in what God has given us today instead of just constantly wanting tomorrow. 
This also resonates with what Jesus says in Matthew about the fields, the, the flowers in the fields and the birds of the air do not worry. This sentiment I kind of find right now in Hosea as well. We often wander from the fold of God because we desire more than what God has given us. And the reality is the world around us reinforces this. And I actually recently, I, I, was, I was writing this, kind of came to my mind. I had a bout of this. If you've been paying attention to the news lately, you might have heard about the craze of the game stock, stock, hedge funds, and people becoming overnight millionaires. I'm not going to lie. I took some small positions and tried to make some quick money. And the worst part is, is that I was successful, which made me feel like I could keep making more money. And I really had to check myself before I wrecked myself because I could feel my own desires to have more would suddenly begin to overtake me. And not realizing that I'm spending money that really I could go and give to others. Because what use would I get out of having more of it? I was in this tension of wanting more for tomorrow and not finding my satisfaction in what God had already given me today. The desire to take care of my family and to have more quickly gets twisted into to something more than what it's intended to be. And even though I was successful, I was taking the things of God, the things that God had given me, and trying to make something of it for my own gain, instead of just trusting in God, that even though I was able to fulfill my desire, even though I was ultimately able to fulfill my desire, it ultimately would lead me down a path that would lead me unsatisfied. I'm going to say that again because I kind of messed it up. Instead of trusting in God and what he had given me, I tried to take it and make it into something else. And even though I was ultimately able to be successful in that, it would lead me ultimately down a path that would leave me unsatisfied. And I believe that this is us in some ways. And this has been the American church. God has given the American church wealth. Even though being a small church plant in a small denomination, it may not feel that way. And sometimes we have pursued wealth and have been very, very successful in it. Instead of just trusting in God, we raise money for noble reasons. But sometimes, as the old adage goes, the road to hell is paved with good intention. We use our desire to help, but it ultimately hurts. When I was thinking about this, is the attention that I think that we all fall into as the American church. So we say, well, I need to raise money for the homeless. And it doesn't matter how I raise that money because it's ultimately going towards a good end. And ultimately, at some level, if we use nefarious things or sketchy gray area things to raise money, we're not trusting that God can already take care of those issues. Yes, we do have a mandate to go and help. But we should do so in a way that is uh, based in the word of God and in justice and clarity. And not trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. To do something wrong in order to say that we're doing something good. Because that's not how we are going to be judged. So once again, as I did in the last sermon, I want to apologize for the American church and the hoarding of wealth and sometimes the twisting of economic desires, even with good intentions. And how that got in the way of what the Lord was actually planning to do. Because as we take wealth away from our communities and we don't distribute it back into those who are in need, we create problems in the economy of God. Even though our desire may have been good, it becomes twisted. And I want to apologize for those that we have hurt 
from the American church and its twisted economics over the last decade to centuries. As we get back to Hosea and Gomer, the Lord has his own answer to this tension that God has placed before us, that the larger story is actually about redemption. He tells the prostitute at the very end that he, that she is still his wife, regardless of what she has done. Remember the very beginning, you are not acting like my wife, and I am not your husband. Now we have this curve around to come back where he says, no, you are my wife. And I think that this is the tension that we walk to as Christians. That God will look to us and say, you're not acting like my wife. Because you're not acting like I am your husband. But that does not negate the fact that you are my wife. And I am your husband or I am your God. Early in the chapter, he says, I will forget these children. And now the Lord says he will call them his. Because the Lord is working to reconcile all things back to him. Regardless of our decisions, God says, I am bigger than those decisions. And I can reconcile these things back. That there is an ark of redemption. And all of, uh, and all of these things, the times that we spent with other gods, the festivals that we have participated in, the gold and silver that God has given, that we have given to other gods, All of it will be returned back because the Lord is faithful. The Lord will provide justice and righteousness. The Lord will do away with war and allow her to feel safe again. All of the reasons the prostitute may have been scared or fearful fearful, that caused her to wander, the Lord will provide to her. She does not need to be scared or afraid anymore. She does not need to seek a false safety in the arms of other lovers. She is the Lord. She is the Lord's and the Lord is with her. We as the church need to hold to this tightly because what I said earlier, we will sometimes run to others seeking what the Lord has promised to provide. But as individuals and as a church, we need to remember what the Lord has promised and seek satisfaction in today and not let our desires for tomorrow distort what the Lord has planned for us right now. A desire for a safer future is not wrong in itself, nor is our desire to gain wealth to help others. But what the Lord warns us is that when we see those things as an end to themselves, they will lead us unsatisfied. So, I do remember the story I shared at the beginning. The emperor has no clothes. I remember after the storming of our nation's castle, I shared on Facebook, I shared a Facebook status lamenting people holding up Jesus save signs and holding crosses as people were killed by a violent mob. And I said that the empire has no clothes. And the empire I was referring to is the American church. And I feel like we are the emperor sometimes at the beginning of the story. We've been swindled into believing that the powers of this world were given to us to bring God's will and our decisions of what God's justice looks like to here on earth. And everybody's been kind of walking alongside of us, even though we're naked and doing it. And now finally somebody called out and said, hey, you're naked. And they're shaming us for it. In Hosea 3, which I'm including in this sermon because it's really a summarization and conclusion of 2, the Lord commands the prophet to know a woman 
who has known others intimately, who has given gifts to other gods, and then to buy her and abstain from being intimate with her for a while. This will show that God will watch over Israel and how they will have a time where they do not have a king. A king was always regarded as being close to God since you know he was in leadership. And if we are real, we sometimes still believe that today. And thus, they will not know God, but God will still be watching over them and will restore to them a new king, which serves as a reminder in the light of the American church that no matter how naked we may be, the Lord will always clothe us. Now, I want to say that again because that is just as important for individuals as it is for the church. No matter how naked we may be, the Lord will always clothe us. A reminder that no matter if we have followed other gods, our God will still lead us to be an anchor in the valley of hope. A reminder to us that even if we have no king, I really want to say Gondor has no king right there, but I'm resisting the urge even though I actually technically just said it. The Lord is still watching over us and will restore us. But the first step to being clothed, just like in the story of the emperor, is we have to realize that we're naked. If we truly want to help the American church, we first must admit that sometimes we're naked in the desert. And we should repent and go back to a God who, much like the prodigal son returning, will clothe us, put a ring on our finger, and feed us. As I said last week, the Lord is not done with me, not done with us. And so we must trust that he is not done with the church as well. I know that there's no real way because this task can feel so impossible in front of us. And yet, in all of the mists of muck and mire of Hosea, in the life of Gomer, God still said there is redemption and it belongs to him. And that all things will be redeemed and reconciled to him. I want us to remember that in the midst of this next phase that we are going to in as the church, as this pandemic is kind of coming to a close and we're going to reopen our doors and we're going to rethink how society functions, that we do not fall for the calls of lovers left wild, that we do not take the desires given to us by God and give them out to other gods, but rather... We look at what the Lord has provided for us today and know that it's a mark that he will provide for us in the future. Be blessed this week, and please, please remember to wash your hands.